and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am as always your host Sotak Andre and you're listening to episode 18 which is a special episode for me because this was my very first time where I wasn't on the host side of the podcast and I was actually featured as the guest on my buddy Abel Chaboy's uh, Sustainable Self-Development Podcast that I'm sure that many of you will already be familiar with. Abel and I, we've been in touch for a long time now, for years, and um, I had the absolute uh, pleasure and honor to be featured on his podcast, (laughs) considering the amount of incredible guests he's had on previously before me. Uh, In this episode, we discussed a lot of things related, related to progressive overload, what it actually means, at least for me, how should you go about progressing training, how should you go about overloading um, week by week, whether you should add sets or not, what's a realistic set number, what are the issues with adding sets, um, progressing in weight versus other methods, what to do when you can no longer just progress in weight linearly, and lots of other similar topics. So if you're interested, check it out. I hope you will enjoy it and stick around until the end, but I will, as always, give my top three takeaways from this episode. I hope you will enjoy it and I uh, hope you won't mind listening to me more than usual. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Uh, and in this episode, I'm talking with Sotak Andre. Um, you have seen his name on my podcast being featured already because I was on his podcast, the Muscle Engineer podcast, and we did a really cool episode on ad libitum dieting and um, so-called intuitive eating, which from now on is actually being called autoregulatory eating. But anyway, I was on his podcast, we did a real cool talk, and I posted that episode on my channel. And in this case, he will be on my channel, and we are going to talk about everything related to progressive overload, what are better and worse ways to overload your training, should you add in sets, should you work up to your so-called maximum recoverable volume, or should you just add, add weight every week? So all that good stuff, and we will see how that goes. So Andre, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited too to talk to you because uh, you know a lot about the topic and you're a real nerd on uh, everything related to training, which is which makes you an awesome candidate for this kind of a talk. So uh, just um, say something about yourself in a few sentences. What should people know about your fitness journey and uh, how long have you been, um, uh, you know, how, how long have you been digging into the science and all the interesting stuff related to hypertrophy and kind of what do you do in your everyday work, that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm not uh, I'm not well known, so I guess I can afford to go in a bit more detail if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there are those people who have told their life, I guess, 105 mm-hmm. times, and for the 106th time, it can be a bit boring. Yeah. But uh, essentially, I was born in a small village in Transylvania, in Romania, and I grew up pretty much playing football because that's what we did. And I was, I guess, kind of chubby or overweight most of my life, and. Um, In late 2010, my first girlfriend dumped me, which was a fun experience, as you can imagine. And essentially, I got very pissed and I needed an avenue to kind of let out my rage, so to speak. And I had a friend who had some weights in his basement. So I started, uh, well, I started messing with weights. And (laughs) just to give you some insight into my baseline strength, the first time I I laid back on the bench, I um, I essentially got buried by a 20 kilo bar. So (laughs) there's that for baseline. Yeah, so um, then in 2011, I joined the first uh, proper gym, and um, then I kind of joined the Romanian equivalent of the 
bodybuilding.com forum. And I still remember this vividly. I, I think I may have told you this previously, but uh, essentially I got banned because uh, one night I said that, uh, well, I had uh, sugar in my cottage cheese and that was a blasphemy back in the day because you can't do that because you would automatically gain fat. So I uh, got turned off by that um, side of the internet and I started seeking out more, uh, I guess, more reasonable people. And uh, I came across, um, I think it was back in 2012, I came across uh, Eric Helms on Matt August's channel when he did those Q&A series in his white uh, t-shirt. I think you can still find those. Mm -hmm. And that was great. And um, gradually I got exposed to the people most will be familiar with, uh, Eric, uh, Lyle McDonald, um, Mike Zilter, somewhere down the line. So essentially I've been uh, in the evidence-based circle for, I don't know, almost six years um just contributing to discussion initially reading then giving my uh, thoughts i guess which were probably dumb at the beginning and then have gotten progressively less and less dumb and um um back in um somewhere last year in july something like that i started helping out uh, renaissance periodization with um, some of their social media content and um Somewhere at the beginning of this year, I got uh, sort of accepted under an internship under Mike Israel, if you want to call it that. So essentially, I started taking on online coaching clients under his supervision, and he reviews the diet and training um, programs I write for them. And other than that, I also work as a personal trainer at the local gym here in uh, Romania. So essentially, most of my days are spent between in-person clients, online clients, and then... um, recording and editing my podcast whenever I have time for that and the occasional social media interaction and reading interesting stuff listening to podcasts and all that awesome yeah no it's it's nice to see uh, that uh, you are turning into a true fitness professional not like you weren't so far but uh, in terms of actual occupation I mean I know that you were a personal trainer thus far but you know, like uh, I remember the first time we interacted, you were, um, you know, just kind of one of those uh, enthusiastic commenters on different platforms. And, you know, now you're really getting into the into the industry and uh, you're working together now with some of those people that you used to admire. So that must be a pretty cool feeling for you. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I just wanted to mention that I remember a couple of years ago, I came across your channel and I was actually um, astonished that you had Danny Lennon on and... Uh, um, I don't know, you had a couple of uh, people I really look up to and I was like, wow, a Hungarian sounding and looking guy interviewed <laughs> Danny Lennon and all these guys, wow. And right now I'm here in uh, in the guest uh, spot, I guess. So I'm I'm really appreciative for this. Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool how, you know, it's a special industry in the sense that, um, you know, people are, even though they are big stars, like they are almost like celebrity status in our sphere, but they are very helpful and uh, they are always willing to talk to you. So, yeah, I was amazed too, like when I started out that I could get some of these people to talk to me. And to this day, I can only think back to just a handful of occasions where someone turned me away saying that like, yo, dude, you need to bl- build up your platform a little bit more before I get get onto mm. your podcast. Like 90 plus percent of the cases, they were super, super helpful. So yeah, it's a cool industry to be in <laughs> for that reason. Um, so um, yeah, maybe let's uh, slowly transition into our um, 
topic today, which is will be training related. I've um, I know that you're a big experimenter in uh, with your training, and you like to try out different stuff on yourself. I heard you mention this when you had on Berge Fagerli, who talked about his zero carb experiment, mm-hmm. and you said that you like to experiment more so with training. Um, so. Let's uh, let's talk today about progressive overload because this is something that everybody knows that it's a key to making our training effective, not just in the short term, but to keep making it effective over time. But a lot of people have misconceptions about uh, what progressive overload really means. So um, I don't know. Do you want to give like if someone's coming up to you and asks you these days, what does progressive overload mean? What how would you describe that concept to to them? Yeah, so um, fundamentally, I am a a bit of a pragmatist, if I might call it that. So I'm not that smart. And um, I I try to follow people who are smarter than me. But uh, I, um, I don't like to say that I do my research, because I definitely don't do my research in my apartment. But I try to look at people who are smarter than me and um, who like or can use um, science smart terms, but I'm not that cool. So so for me, um, progressive overload or um, applying progressive overload for a given muscle is just um, increasing the demand of that particular muscle over time. So if you just go back to that definition, then we can automatically circumvent a couple of issues that people seem to have in practice. And I don't know if you want to get into that right away or... I, I guess we can jump right in and um, yeah, we can circle back later if, if we have to. Yeah, okay. So my biggest issue with um, how people sort of apply progressive overload in practice is that they somehow forget that, uh, like I said, the goal is to um, challenge the muscle more and more over time or to um, expose it to an over-increasing demand over time. So they seem to conflate that with uh, just um, loading more weight on the bar or on the leg press because that seems to be uh, one of the favorite tools for people to <laughs> to use. And it kind of turns into this progressive um, weight overload or progressive ego overload or progressively degraded execution overload. So... <laughs> so um, if you want to rate your execution on a imaginary one to 10 scale, um, let's say someone uses um, 10 kilos, for example's sake, and their execution is at a six or a seven, then they might go up to 12 and a half and the execution might go down to four or three. So this is what most commonly is uh, practiced by most people at most gyms. And I'm talking about regular gym goers here that they kind of forget what the goal is and, um, by increasing the weight that they are using, they're actually um, decreasing the demand that the musculature um, is placed under. So <laughs> the target muscle, even though you are using a quote-unquote, uh, or even though you are you have applied the quote-unquote progressive overload, the muscle is actually doing less work. So I guess that's where the the whole fundamental uh, misconception is. And that's where the the baseline has to be set. It doesn't matter what weight you're using. It's, what's matter is, um, like uh, some smart people have said it before me, it doesn't matter the load or doesn't matter what loads you're using. It, um, it matters how well that load is directed. So you can use a weight that's 20% lighter and the particular muscle can be worked more efficiently or more effectively. Yeah, and I guess... Um Maybe maybe we can jump into because it's just a practical way to illustrate this. But a lot of people seem to 
confuse progressive overload with, and I, I heard Eric Helms talk about this, so I'm kind of quoting him, but I think it's a really good way to illustrate this is that uh, a lot of people confuse progressive overload with a progression scheme. So, um, you know, putting weight on the bar, like, and I used to be of this confusion a lot as well. Like, um, I used to think that I am growing bigger by the act of lifting more weight in a, in a given workout. So if last week I benched 80 kilos for eight reps and the next week I'm benching 82 and a half kilos for eight reps, then that increased weight and benching that for eight reps is what was actually uh, what caused the progression. Whereas in reality, the progression actually happened as I was adapting to that last week's uh, training stimulus. And now as a result of that, I was able to bench more. So I guess it's in that regard, progressive overload is like is a necessity to induce further ad- further ad- adaptation in your training. But it's also a tool to actually track your progress, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think um, what you mentioned there is um, a quote from Brian Miner that I've seen him post in in a blog post and on Instagram. It was something to the effect of. Um, Lifting more weight is a byproduct of past performance, but isn't necessary for improved performance, something like that. So the effect, the, the gist of it was that um, what you said previously, that, yeah, what you did in the past allowed you to lift uh, more weight, but isn't, um, or getting bigger, um, lifting more weight isn't a requirement to get bigger, something like that. Yeah. So, and in essence, yeah, sure. So, um, to go back to the practical side, my biggest issue is when um, someone increases their load. Like I said, in, a, in an ideal world, in an ideal situation, if you kept everything constant and you indeed increased your um, bench weight, whatever, to 82 and a half kilos from 80, then yes, that should have been or should be a more effective or a bigger stimulus for that particular musculature. And given that you can actually recover from it and you sleep and you have the nutrition and all that, then yes, um, that should elicit a um, hypertrophic stimulus for that particular muscle. But uh, like I said, in practice, there are some issues with this. Um, I mean, people can just simply arch more. Um, so they can arch their lower, lower back more or they can lift their butt up the bench. So essentially they meet the bar higher or they can not bring the bar to the previous point that it was a week ago. Uh, I didn't say intentionally, I didn't say they bring the bar to their chest because <laughs> that's a different uh, discussion and debate altogether whether you should touch the bar to your chest or not. Yeah. But um, essentially whatever that uh, end range of motion was the last week. Yeah, so so let's talk about adding weights to the bar because that's, um, that's, I guess, one of the most straightforward ways to progress with your training or progressively overload your training. And perhaps the the thing that most people, when they come across the concept of progressive overload, that's, I mean, the most two common ways of doing it is adding reps and adding weight. But probably adding weight is, is the most common way of doing it. Basically, if you download any particular random cookie cutter program for, from the internet, it will have some sort of a progression model of maybe, okay, so you're lifting in the 8 to 12 rep range. And once you can do 12 reps, then you add weight. Then you start from 8 reps again, going up to 12 reps again. That's a very typical way of doing it. So let's let's talk about adding weights to the bar. And I guess you touched on this in the beginning that when whenever especially when you're trying to progress by adding weight to the, to the bar, one really critical thing is that you keep other variables constant, such as form, so execution. You touched on that. 
One other thing that you touched on is, and, and, and that's something that I fell for a lot of times, and I think it's in the real world, it's hard not to fall for this, is that people just incrementally get better at grinding. So maybe they start off with mm. 80 kilos on the bench and they can do that for eight reps, but you know, maybe they stopped at a very decent, maybe like two or three reps shy of failure and they get more and more enthusiastic and you know they just get closer to closer to failure and at the end there are like you know veins are popping out of their forehead and they can barely lift the weight for eight reps and at the end of it they plateau and they don't understand why and it's like well you know you kind of just pushed yourself to the limits so much that now it's really hard to progress because those last weeks of progression were just as a result of you just being really really hard at just eking out reps where really you probably should have wrecked the weight before that so yeah like what are I guess what are what would you say are the benefits and the downsides of just progressing by keeping adding weight to the bar? Mm. Yeah, so I think uh, first and foremost we have to kind of define or um, specify what population we're talking about. So um, in the actual gym is setting in person, I deal with mostly beginners or untrained. By that I mean untrained people who have never been at the gym because in Romania especially, it's, it's uh, personal training is pretty expensive. So. Um, usually, um, the people who will actually pay for that kind of premium service are those who have never been at the gym and they're kind of intimidated and, um, they are just kind of un, un, unsecure or unsure of themselves. So they're like, well, I might as well just pay someone, teach me how to do things. And that's a excellent way to do good, to look at it actually, instead of just uh, going to the gym and doing whatever and hoping for the best. So when it comes to that particular population, I think, um, um, Increasing weight is an uh, is a, is a perfect uh, way to do things um, after you've established some uh, good execution. So the first couple of weeks, um, even though the primary goal is to actually establish a proper, um, well, a proper movement patterns and uh, they just get just get them familiar with the gym setting first and foremost and being there and all that. But after that. Um, you have to teach them how to actually set up for exercises, and we can we can do an, 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 a, a separate podcast about that particular topic just in and of itself. But you can teach them how to set up, how to um, align their joints and keep their bodies and all that. But once that's particularly addressed or at a sufficiently good level, so that they um, they don't have an injury risk or their form is not so poor that um, they might uh, hurt themselves, then you can actually start increasing weight, and the two kind of happen. Uh, simultaneously even though i try not to push them so for beginners i definitely wouldn't recommend going to failure like you said and i know many trainers do that but that's probably the dumbest thing you can do with an untrained guy because yeah like you said and you touched on the grind aspect they they kind of it's everything is new for them so they don't know how to first they don't know how to do the exercises and then they don't know how to grind i mean at the first sign of don't know how to grind i mean at the first sign of uh, <laughs> oh Oh, 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 and they're kind of scared and shocked. And you're like, what the hell happened? Here, 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 it burns, it burns. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, 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 cool, chill down. That's okay, yeah. that's normal. That's just, that's just the, the burn. It's, you're going to get used to it. And they're like, really? But it hurts. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're going to get used to it. And after a while, they start to get used to it and they enjoy it and all that. But, yeah. um, but, uh, simply, um, they don't have the capacity to grind and, Usually, once the movement kind of slows down, they automatically re-rack the weight, and that's completely fine. I usually leave up to them 
I just tell them, look, whenever you feel like you're getting tired and the weight is starting to feel uh, heavy or challenging, just stop the set. And that's particular. That's that's perfectly fine with that particular uh, population because they they really don't need more than that. Because when you're so new to this, essentially any well-directed stimulus will get you results. So um, in that um, population, I would say up to maybe a year of training, um, increasing weight is an excellent strategy, especially if you're working with someone. Because if you don't, then they can do whatever they want and they can spend five hours at the gym if they want. But usually I have an hour with the client, so I'm limited in the amount of... uh, Well, I'm limited by the number of exercises I can do with them and uh, that's a bit intentional as well. You don't want to do 25 exercises with a beginner. (laughs) You're much better off picking four effective ones and actually getting somewhat proficient at those. But kind of the whole neurological learning and uh, the nervous system adapting and all that, that that simply will result in them being able to handle more weight. And then, of course, you get the actual muscle muscle increases, muscle size increases, and um, they get a bit better at... uh, actually tolerating that um, sensation of, of fatigue and burn and all that. So if we talk about someone who has been training less than a year, I think keeping the number of sets low, maybe I like to keep it at maybe three, but usually two sets per, per exercise. So take as many warm-up sets as needed, but then do only two working sets. And someone might say, well, that's low. <laughs> when you've only been training for a couple of months, that's not, especially if you do like two to three exercises per muscle group per week. So you might do six, seven, eight sets per week. And for someone who has been only been lifting for a couple of months, that's perfectly fine. And um, as long as they increase their weight, the weights they are using and keeping their form, um, I wouldn't say perfect, because <laughs> when you deal with someone who is relatively untrained, their form is never going to be perfect, but it's it's going to be good enough. So they yeah. don't um, hurt themselves and um, they can execute the exercises safely. And what about what about more advanced people? So, I mean, I guess like how realistic is it to? Because I mean, everybody has those honeymoon phases in their training when um, we can just keep adding, you know, five pounds or you know, two and a half kilos every week to every lift, but it eventually all comes to an end. So, I don't know what what do you think are some viable ways to um, to keep increasing training stress that way by keep adding weight i guess like one way to get around it would be to use micro weights you know Mm -hmm. instead of adding two and a half kilos just add one kilo or put some ankle weights with just you know 200 grams or something like that yeah yeah so first and foremost i gotta keep my own perspective in mind so i've been lifting since 2011 so that's seven years so i can't uh, i can't i don't want to sound arrogant and i don't want to um i don't i'm not i don't feel particularly confident in um addressing what someone who has been training for 27 years should do um but simply based on because i wouldn't i wouldn't assume that most listeners have been training longer than seven years and if they have then awesome perhaps i can tell something that they can uh, they can use as well but uh, like you said after a point yes um the weight kind of or the your ability to increase weight week after week or session after session diminishes so in that case yes there are a couple of um things you can do um micro loading is definitely one of my favorite ways to do and unless your gym is um you are in the in that unfortunate situation where your gym has those machines that are enclosed uh, i don't know if um you know what i'm talking about but there are some gyms that have kind of cases on the weight stack itself yeah, so yeah, they yeah. are closed in so you don't have access to it 
which sucks. Um, mm. <laughs> and kind of that's how that's one of the ways you can tell if a manufacturer um, hired someone who has been actually lifting or they just hired uh, whoever to design their equipment. But if you're not in that situation and you actually have access to that waste stack, you can do two things. And one is to put a weight on the pin. So if the key, if the pin is long enough, you can just put it on the pin itself. If not, just put a secondary pin in the waste stack. So this way, if the next increment is, usually it's five kilos, but some machines go up in eight kilos or even 10 kilos, which is just insane. Then you can simply put a 0.5 kilo or one kilo or 1.25 kilo weight plate, however, um, whatever the smallest um, increment is that's available to you. And by doing that, you can increase your um, the weight you're using by a small enough uh, relative percentage that you can actually do it for the decent amount of reps. And it's not uh, <laughs> you don't want to. I mean, you don't want to drop down your reps. Um, um, from yeah. 10 and let's say you've been doing sets of 12 and you go up the next um, increment and you drop to five reps or something like that. So by yeah. doing this, you can actually um, provide a meaningful yet still um, reasonable increase to the weights you're using. And the second strategy is just to put a dumbbell on top of the stack itself. So there are, again, some um, stacks or that are close, but have some space on top of them. So you can just simply dump a dumbbell on top of it. And I did that. I do that too, depending on the equipment. And you can use a one kilo dumbbell, a two kilo dumbbell, something like that. And that's a great way to increase your um, your weight um, that you're using. And, and I guess maybe that's a good segue to talk about another viable uh, progression method, which is increasing reps, which... Like if you think about it uh, with something like dumbbell lateral raises where, I mean, everybody tried it or experienced it a few times where maybe now you're doing a set of 15 with five kilo dumbbells and then the next day or the next week you're trying to do it with six kilos, maybe again, you're able to do 15 reps. The week after, maybe the next increment is maybe two kilos more. And now all of a sudden your reps with that weight drop down to maybe eight from or maybe 10 from 15, which normally wouldn't happen with something like a compound movement because you're able to overload that with two and a half kilos. And maybe, maybe, you know, with your training gauge, now you're too advanced to overload by two and a half kilos from workout to workout. So your reps will be dropping by, you know, maybe one or two on something like a bench press. But if you're doing something like a lateral raise, because two kilos is such an enormous relative increase, you know, from six kilos to eight kilos, now your reps are going to be dropping by five. And in that case, maybe it might be actually more viable to just add reps. So I don't know. What do you think about, in general, what do you think about adding reps uh, versus adding weight? Yeah, for sure. So I have a couple of different uh, progression strategies depending on the equipment or the exercise that's being used. So for compound and um, either free weight or plate-loaded uh, machines, what I like to do, because on those, you can uh, you have access to smaller plates and you're not limited by the next dumbbell or... Um, fixed barbell or something like that so or by the next um, um, weight stack or the next increment in the weight stack uh, as it would be in the case of machine so what I do in that particular situation is um, select the rep range that I want to work in in let's say it's a 6 to 8 or 6 to 10 rep range and um, let's say I want to do three sets okay so I want to do 
three sets of 60-10 reps with um, barbell bench press, to give an easy example. In that case, what I will do is um, do my first set and see, let's say I got eight reps, and then the next I got seven and six. Um, I will stick with that weight until I hit the top of the rep range in the first set, and then the second or and the third land wherever in that particular uh, interval. So if I got 10 on the first and on the second I got 9 and 7, then that's perfect for me and I can add weight. So next week I will add um, 1 kilo or 2.5 kilos because that's more realistic because most gyms have a 1.25 or a 2.5 pound um, increment. Very few gyms have actually smaller uh, plates than that. But if you mm. have, awesome. And um, I add the weight and then start again and I might drop my reps to 8, um, seven and six or something like that and repeat that's in the case of a blade loaded uh, machine or in the case of a barbell or a leg press or something like that so essentially anything that is uses uh, blades um, if you talk about uh, a machine that's um, um, that has a weight stack or dumbbells something like that then I won't um, increase weight as soon as I hit my or the top um, end of my rep range on the first set. But uh, what I will do instead is uh, wait until I hit the top of the rep range with all of my sets. So instead of doing, um, let's say I use your example of letter raises and I use the five kilo dumbbells and I want to hit three sets of 12. And if I hit 12, 11, and nine, um, I won't go up to the seven and a half kilo dumbbells or the six kilos, yeah. whatever that's available. I will wait until I can hit all three sets of 12. So by that point, I should be able to go up to the six kilos and do at least three sets of eight or something like that and start again over. So um, I think that's the best way. And um, in this way, you can adapt the strategy that you're using to the equipment that's uh, or the exercise you're trying to apply it to. Because obviously you can do the same. Um, you can use the second strategy on a barbell press or deadlift, something like that. But it's just not necessary because... You don't really need to wait until you can hit all three sets of t- uh, 10 or 12, whatever, because you can add some weight and still be able to fall in that rep range because the relative increase is not really that big. Whereas in the yeah. case of a dumbbell, like you said, <laughs> um, some gyms I've seen have, um, after the five kilo, they only have a seven and a half kilo dumbbell. So that's relatively speaking a 50% increase in uh, in weight. I mean, that's just insane. Think about it. I mean, imagine like um, doing a bench press and using 60 kilos and then going up to 90 kilos. <laughs> I yeah, mean, no yeah. one would do that. Yeah, like what you mentioned about hitting a certain amount of reps in all sets. I think actually that's especially viable. I mean, it's kind of a side note, but I think it's especially viable if someone has a little bit questionable technique or if someone is just kind of, you know, if someone has been in the game for 20 years, you know, like a Jeff Alberts who, you know, it's everything, all reps look exactly the same, pristine form, um, then it might not be as necessary. But for someone who is still, you know, kind of prone to error when things are getting heavy or when they are approaching failure, then it might be, for example, on squats, instead of saying, okay, um, whatever, six to 10 reps or something like that, just say, okay, once you hit eight reps on all three sets, then we progress in weight. Yeah, so in an ideal world, in a theoretically perfect world, the more training experience you have, the better execution is, the better your muscular recruitment is, the more control you have, the more, um, the essentially the more you can get out of each rep and each set. And I think that's, um, so um, 
if people want to look up someone or people who have what I consider uh, um, a decent blend of not only execution, but also using some amount of load, because one or the other isn't really useful. I mean, if you want to just go the load route, sure, you can go all in on the branch warrant style, but then you might find yourself every six months in the surgery room or something like that. And on the other extreme, if you're only focused on execution and having absolutely perfect um, reps, that's awesome. But if you're using five kilo dumbbells all your life, then you're not really going to to amount to much. And yes, I know that there was that one study where that guy flexed his muscles hard enough and all that crap. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's where I... I uh, I kind of <laughs> I have issues with the with people being too evidence based and um, kind of wanting to apply the quote unquote um, evidence, which in that case means just research to real life uh, circumstances. I mean, if you look at the best bodybuilders and the guys who are actually um, jacked, they are usually pretty strong, and this doesn't mean that they are world class level strong or the stronger you are, the bigger you get but relatively speaking especially from where they started because just to give my um, personal example I mean yeah my bench press is probably laughable for most people but remember I got buried by an empty bar I was too weak to bench the bar whereas someone like Greg Knuckles and I, I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying this he has benched I think 120 something kilos on the first day he stepped into the gym 275 the first day he stepped into the gym Compare 275 to 30 pounds. <laughs> so there you go. So relatively speaking, yeah, my bench might not be nothing noteworthy, but relatively speaking, I made a ton of progress. And and if you look at it uh, from this perspective at your own training, then um, then perhaps you can appreciate um, your own progress better. But just to before I lose my train of thought, so if, if people want to look up someone who has that particular uh, blend of uh, execution and effort, they should look up two people. They should look up Joe Bennett um, on Instagram at Hypertrophy Coach. And he's what I would call him a bit more on the execution side than on the load side. And the second guy should be Jordan Peters at Trained by JP on uh, Instagram and he is a bit more on the load side but both of them have good enough execution and you can see two guys who use um <laughs> or absolutely speaking impressive loads especially Jordan but Joe himself I mean he front squatted 160 170 kilos so that's not really bad I guess for most standards and both guys have in- insane execution so in their case, yeah, the the quote-unquote rule applies that uh, the longer you've been lifting, the better your execution should be. And um, and in their case, they can get away with uh, performing fewer sets because they can actually get more out of um, more out of each rep. And I think I think um, <laughs> this is why I really don't like the um, back and forth between oh this guy uses high volume and this guy uses low volume and all that. Aside from theoretical um, personal volume tolerances and all that. It might just be that, for example, Dorian Yates, because everyone likes to bring him up, it might just be that his um, muscle recruitment on um, those particular muscle groups was so good that um, muscle groups was so good that um, due to whatever reason, yeah. So it might have been the case that his uh, muscle recruitment, due to deliberate execution or just his structure or just his neurological wiring and whatever, his <laughs> his uh, muscle recruitment was so good that he got all that he could out of um, those muscle groups in just a couple of sets. And um, beginners, usually they don't. So that's why <laughs> you can see, um, usually intermediate, because beginners don't really do that. But 
intermediate guys who have been lifting for a year or two or three, something like that. And you see them performing just insane amounts of volume, like 25, 30, 40 sets per week. And, and um, someone who has perhaps the experience of Joe or Jordan or um, I might call him even myself and um, even I, looking back now, um, I would just be crushed by that volume. And I remember years ago, I, um, I think maybe two years ago, I actually had a phase for a couple of months where I actually did 50 sets for chest. I'm not even kidding, 50. <laughs> I remember doing, yeah, I did like 15 sets three times per week and one of them was like 20. So, and my chest was, well, it was worse than it is now. And right now I do, um, I think seven sets on average, seven, eight sets in one workout and maybe six to seven in, in the other. So that's still 15. And uh, who knows, maybe five years from now, if you talk again, I might tell you that my recruitment and my execution got even better. So right now I can get the work done with eight sets per week instead of 10 or 15. Who knows? But... um but yeah, just to go back, I think I went on a tangent there for a bit. Um, so, um, so for someone who is um, in that intermediate phase, yes, they probably would benefit from um, um, staying at that weight for longer. But also, even if someone is advanced and they you'd have good execution and um, they know how to lift, essentially, they still, if, uh, just due to the fact that they can make, um, they make progress slower, it might just be a good strategy for them to repeat that same workout. Even if, uh, let's say you did, and I do that for myself too. Let's say I went up from 50 kilos to 52 and a half. Yes, I was on paper. I was in that particular range that I wanted, but I know in my head that that execution wasn't that good. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, or as good as it could have been. So I, would, I just might um, note in my logbook that repeat this again next week and uh, I might stick with the weight for two or three weeks and on paper you might look at it and go wait a minute you haven't been making any progress for the past three weeks I mean you've been lifting the same weight for the same reps for the same sets <laughs> and that's true but what's happening internally the the challenge on that muscle is uh, is becoming um, progressively more or greater and greater and um, and I think that's what makes the difference because um for example, if I have an online client and um, I only see their um, spreadsheet or their workout log and I see them that they've did X numbers of, of weights for X number of reps, I might just think in my head, awesome, we can increase the load. And then I see their recordings. I'm like, holy freaking shit. Okay, we're dropping back to, down the weight. <laughs> and that has uh, happened uh, more times than I can remember because just the number on paper doesn't really tell you much about what's happening internally. So... So go back to what you originally asked. Yes, I think repeating the workouts um, and uh, trying to improve the quality of that work is probably one of the most underappreciated ways to induce progressive overload. If you go back to what I quote-unquote defined it to be. I do that frequently, actually. Like, I just stay at a certain weight. Like, on the machine, seated leg curls, actually, I just... I think I stayed at, uh, <laughs> there's, I, I know actually the increment, it's 65, whatever its unit is, kilos or pounds or whatever, I just see a 65 there. And I stayed there for like three weeks because I can just tell like, there's no way, like if I'm going to up the weight to 70, uh, the the form is going to look ugly. I'll, I'll just feel it in everywhere, all kinds of weird places other than my hamstrings. So I'm just going to stay there until I feel like I'm just able to, complete this amount of reps with less straining with just more ease with better form better execution and 
once I feel like I'm quote unquote ready, that I'm going to up the weight. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And another thing I wanted to ask um, your opinion on, because this is something I'm always kind of on the fence with. So what do you think about um, downsets? So, you know, dropping the weight in between sets and adding in more, um, you know, so maybe you're, you know, like, I, I guess it's it's kind of a drop sets with rest in between or reverse pyramid training is how a lot of people like to program it for themselves. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, so there are a couple of ways I have seen this implemented. One is to just have separate rep ranges. And I know, for example, because I'm subscribed to Joe's website, he has a, a member's website and it's like 10 bucks a month. So it's definitely well worth it. And uh, but you're welcome, Joe. <laughs> I expect the <laughs> the check in the mail. <laughs> just kidding. But um, uh, from what I've seen, he likes to do this. He might have a top set. And I have a couple of buddies who do the same. They might have a, a top set in the 5 to 8 rep range, something like that. And this is the failure. And then they drop down the weight by 10% or something like that. And then they have the second set in the 8 to 12 rep range or 10 to 15 rep range, something like that. And that's one way to do it. I myself don't really practice that in a given session. That's just personal preference. I don't think that's, there's a better or worse way to do it. Um, I do something similar, but I do it uh, in a DUP fashion, if I want to <laughs> to use a, a smart sounding term. So I might have a 5 to 8 rep range on Monday and then have the 8 to 12 rep range on Thursday. And again, I don't think one is better than the other or one is inherently superior and inferior. Just I think it's just preference. But um, the other way to do downsets, and this is what I actually use, is to have a particular rep range. And then if you feel like you cannot uh, remain in that rep range with the desired uh, reps in reserve target, um, that's, of course, if you want to use that. And we can we can actually have a separate discussion whether training to failure and all that and whether it should be applied or not. But... Um, but let's say I, I want to remain in the 8 to 12 rep range and um, first set with um, whatever X kilos, I only got 8 reps. I know in my, I know that if I'm going to repeat the, if I'm going to stick with the same weight for the next set, I'm going to get out. Essentially, I'm going to fall below that 8 to 12 rep range. So what I'm going to do is drop it down to the smallest increment or reduce the um, plates on the bar or the whatever machine by the smallest increment possible. And um, in this way, I can actually remain that, um, in that rep range. And again, I don't think one is necessarily better than the other or one is worse. Um, essentially, you're just... It's, it all accomplishes, accomplishes the same thing um, at the end of the day. It allows you to do um, sufficiently high enough or sufficiently challenging um work for sufficiently long enough time <laughs> cool yeah i think we exhausted this one pretty well and uh let's talk about something which is something that i've been thinking about a lot lately which is um adding sets over time and you know i guess mike israel made this uh kind of pretty famous now in the trenches which is the you know working up to your mrv or maximum recoverable volume so maybe in a progression scheme like that you would start out with what you deem to be the least amount of work that you can progress on and then gradually work up to the most that you can tolerate. And, you know, like um, to add some more detail to that. So the way he would do that is that you would start out with a lower volume amount. So maybe let's say 10 sets, you think that that's the least that you can progress on. And you also start out with 
um, more reps in reserve. So maybe you're doing 10 sets per muscle group and you're quitting each set when you feel like you could do three or maybe four more reps. And as the weeks progress, you add in more sets and you're also increasing your or decreasing your reps in reserve. So maybe by the time you, before you deload, so maybe you're working yourself up to 20 sets by the time you're pretty darn close to failure. So what do you think about this progression method? Um, I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on this, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, mainly because I had the privilege and honor and uh, to review Mike's original draft of the MRV Volume Landmarks book. And I'm actually mentioned at the beginning of the book, which is, is extremely, um, it's a big honor for me. Nice. But, um, but, but, um, but yeah, so I had, um, ample that. So my opinion has shifted somewhat in the last, um, as, as it's natural, as it should be actually. So my opinion has changed a bit, um, during the months. And, uh, I guess this is now years since Mike has introduced the concept. So initially I thought that okay, well, whatever, if you want to get the absolute max out of your training, then this is just what you have to do. And to a certain extent, I still think that um, if bodybuilding is your life, and by that, it is going to be controversial, but by that, I mean, literally, bodybuilding is your life in the sense that it pays your bills and you're making a living out of bodybuilding, which I don't know how many people are, but whatever. And again, just as a tangent, but... um, just because you have a natural pro card and you actually pay money and you lose money to compete, that doesn't mean that bodybuilding is your life. Bodybuilding is an expensive hobby at that point, but I digress. So <laughs> so if bodybuilding is your life and you want to make, for whatever reason, your absolute maximum amount of gains, then yes, I think that um, due to reasons Mike has expanded on in his book, which I mostly agree with in a theoretical sense, yes, there are some very good arguments for for starting at a lower volume um, gradually throughout the weeks um, going up to your MRV and um, potentially exceeding it for a short amount of time so always being in that maximum active volume or um, MAV stage so essentially always getting the highest possible return on from your training now this is on a theoretical level I think in practice there are a couple of issues with this First and foremost, um, the population that we are trying to apply this. So again, if I'm dealing with someone who goes to the gym three times a week and uh, they want to look better and be fitter and healthier and play with their kids or pick up some girls, have a girlfriend and all that crap, all that fun stuff, sorry. (laughs) Um, Then does it really matter if you do, um, if you go to your MRV or just stick to a mid-range kind of volume and you get maybe 95% of your gains? Probably not. However, in that you're in that, um, again, if you're in that, if you're Jared Feather and you're training six days per week, two hours a day, and you want to be a world champion bodybuilding pro, then awesome, have at it. But on a practical level, um, you did ask about increasing sets, right? Okay, so on a practical level, I think that um, <clears throat> after a certain point, it just becomes unreasonable, unrealistic. And I, ha- I run into this issue with my online clients too, that, okay, you start with two sets per week, what I usually I do, and then you go up to three, okay. And now your workout time increases by X percent, and then you go up to three, and then you go up to four, and then you go up to five. 
And before you know, <laughs> you're spending two and a half hours in the gym, which is just one unreasonable, two unrealistic, and three probably unnecessary. <laughs> so in that sense, um, and I'm not, I'm exaggerating a bit. Of course, if you do five sets in each exercise, you will probably exceed what would be considered your MRV. But just for the example's sake, I think after a certain point, doing more volume, it not only becomes um, unnecessary, but um, it becomes unproductive, especially due to the reasons I mentioned previously. Most people have such terrible technique that if you, if they imagine someone who is barely able to do six quality sets per muscle group per workout. Now, if you want to bump up that to 12 or 15, I mean, the quality is just going to go to shit, realistically speaking. So yes, if someone has absolutely perfect execution and has it dialed in and wants to get the maximum out of their um, training and has everything else on point, so they sleep eight plus hours per night, they take naps throughout the day, they count every single gram of food they put in their mouth, they use every single supplement that they can realistically spend money on and all that, then yeah, maybe you can uh, or you should do this kind of strategy if you want. But for the average guy who is going to listen to this, I don't think it's necessary or it's going to be the most productive way to do things. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, those are very good points. And I, I do think, though, that Mike would have a good response to all of those, you know, because he is admittedly not targeting the average Joe, you know, like he, even though he doesn't necessarily only attract people who are in that camp who live in, you know, the Jared, Jared Feather type mm. of, you know, non-human people, like he does attract a lot of people who just want to look jacked on the beach. Um, he's still kind of very much emphasizing very often that he is talking about how to get the absolute best results. But even then, I... I have some theoretical problems, which I would actually be super curious to hear his response to. But hmm. the whole premise of building up uh, from a lower set number and working up to your MRV, for me, the theoretical issue with this is that, for one, it assumes, like, one thing he always says is that, okay, let's say that your maximum adaptive volume is 15 sets. So, and then he asked the question, why can't you just do 15 sets week in, week out? It's well, because if you do 15 sets one week, the next week or the week after, 15 sets is no longer your maximal, maximal adaptive volume. I am just a little bit hard pressed to believe, or I, I have issues with the idea that your volume tolerance or what volumes you're responding best to changes that quickly. Like if 15 sets is a great amount of work for you one week, then the next week it's already too little. I think the body doesn't adapt to volume that quickly. That's one issue. But the other issue is kind of that, so let's say you have a four to one, uh, you know, work to deload mm. kind of paradigm and you're starting off with 10 sets and each set is four reps away from failure. Like to me, that's more of a, that would be an amount of stimulus that for a lot of people is more like a deload. <laughs> like if every set is four reps away from failure, I don't know, like, are you really getting a real training stimulus from that? You're getting some, but it's like, it's really borderline. It's more, it's mm -hmm. almost like a light week. And then you're all of a sudden three weeks later, you're one rep away from failure and you're doing twice the volume you know 20 sets and then you're crushed so you're you know you're one week you're barely doing anything and then the other week you're like crushing yourself so the amount of time that you're spending in that goldilocks zone is very little and then the final big assumption here is that you're taking a one week deload and all of a sudden you know half of that amount of work 10 sets 
is already an effective amount of volume for you, even though you already needed 20 sets to induce further adaptations. So I don't know. Those are some issues that I have with the, with this concept, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so you threw like 15 different things there and I tried to take some notes, so hopefully I can address each of them. But I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure Mike would have some excellent responses and I'm sure I would agree with most of them, again, on a theoretical level. So the issue when we when we have these kind of discussion is we talk about a hypothetical person. So we talk about someone in the outer space, someone who is trying to maximize their gains and all that. But we're not talking about um, X, Y, Z person living in this particular town, in this particular city, in this particular situation. So um, when we extrapolate that to that particular um, scenario, and we talk about an actual human who has actual life um, issues and all that, then I think in a way it becomes exercise in futility because... Um, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm, oh my God, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've had 10,000 clients under my belt. No, but I have my, I have had decent enough exposure that I have already experienced. Um, like it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, I'm not trained today because X, Y, and Z, or, well, I have to train today because tomorrow I can't train. And then, and then what? Because you have this all planned out and you're going to this much volume on this day and tomorrow you're going to take a rest day. So you have the perfect SRA curve, stimulus recovery adaptation. And then you have the perfect setup for Thursday and all that. And then it's, everything is thrown out the window. Or my baby was crying all night, so I couldn't sleep. So how about what about that high volume <laughs> like that I'm supposed to do today? I can't do that, you know? So these are the particular um, real-life issues that we have with... Um, and again, I know that this has nothing to do with Mike is arguing about. He's, I'm sure his response would be that, yes, well, then sort your life out. Then obviously you're not in a position to go for this kind of training. And yes, most people aren't. <laughs> so, and again, um, even if you wanted, let's say you wanted very good results, because again, if you wanted maximum results, you would throw your baby out, you would throw your wife out, you would lock yourself in a room, and all you would do is eat, train, and sleep, and all that. So I don't think I don't think anyone wants to do that kind of uh, trade-off. So um, the amount of people I've seen, so I have a couple of, Joe himself, his clients, I have some friends who have some amazing results. Um, there's this body of my Callum Ray streak at CR Physique on Instagram. You, have, you can see him, his clients' results. I think his results as good as any coach is going to have. And from what I've seen, he does a reasonable amount of volume. So not um, definitely not two sets per week, but something reasonable. So when, <laughs> just to specify, I'm talking about something like 8, 10, 12 sets per muscle group per week. If you split that up into workouts, that's 4, 6 sets per muscle group per workout i think that's plenty if you do two sets per two extra working sets in that um per exercise and you do three exercises per muscle group that's plenty and this ties into your um rdr concern i agree with you that if you're not going to do that kind of super high undulation then starting at the four rep in reserve um um baseline is probably exaggerated um, the only good side or the only positive side I can see is uh, if someone has issues with technique, this allows them to get in some um, stimulative work while also the weight not being so challenging that um, they just revert back to um, um, unsafe or um, faulty movement patterns if you want to um, conceptualize it that way. So if you think about it, 
uh, once you get in that one reps in reserve, zero reps in reserve so failure, by that point, you have to be automatic. You can't think about lifting and lift with a weight that's going to crush you. <laughs> it's just impossible. So by that point, your execution should be dialed in, should be automatic, should be perfect. So by um, by keeping the RDR number higher, you actually allow yourself to um, to have some opportunity to practice. Now again, this can be done on warm-up sets, and uh, that's a whole, whole different uh, uh, topic for a different day. But um, but I think that would be the upside of starting um, at a at a higher RDR number. And um, as far as the volume tolerance, I agree with you. I actually I was actually thinking about this a while back. That what is the actual uh, time that's um, time that is uh, needed, I guess, to pass for that particular volume to not be as effective anymore. And again, if you look at the number of people who do only two working sets per exercise and they are only um, progressive overload, if you want to call it that, is increasing weight or reps um, and they still make great progress. So I think, again, most people would be much more, they would, benef- they would benefit much more from looking at the quality first and not just mindlessly trying to do these ginormous amount of sets so instead of so before picking up mike's books and trying to perfectly match their um mav or their um set numbers to their mav and all that um actually review their execution and actually try to get as much out of one set as possible before moving on to um that particular line of thinking yeah yeah i think that's that's very well said um, so, yeah, I think we covered a good amount of ground. I mean, we could talk about some other stuff, um, such as increasing density, you know, reducing tempo during your training. Um, but, um, maybe, maybe at this time we could wrap it up cause we want to make it to the football game that is starting soon. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, maybe we can do a separate episode on, um, some of those other things or what do you think? Yeah. So I have just one final, um, suggestion or um, recommendation or whatever you want to call it for people who are trying to make um, very good gains but also um, be aware of their time spent in the gym and all that so and this is what I like to do when I am pressed on time and I only have maybe an hour to work out something like that so what I would recommend doing is again do two working sets per exercise do your first regular working set in in a moderate rep range 6 to 10 8 to 12 whatever something like that Take an actual um, good rest, so three minutes, something like that, You when you feel recovered. And then do the second set, similar weight, and then do some sort of an um, intensification technique just to get some more effective volume in, uh, like Berger has the, uh, likes to call it. Um, and I don't think the particular method matters a whole lot. I don't think one of them is better than the other. Essentially, all of them accomplish the same thing, just a community more effective volume. And I like to... And this is what I have tried, started doing, actually, since I faced the issue I mentioned previously with trying to increase set numbers that, well, people, not many people have two hours every day to spend energy. Most people have 45 minutes, 60, maybe 75 minutes, something like that. So yeah. on that second working set, what you can do is either do a rest pause set, which would mean that um, you rest for 15, 20, 30 seconds, something like that. And then you try to get in roughly half the 
initial reps. So, in, so if in the first one you got 10, you might try to do another five. And these should be, should be arguably effective reps in the sense that you have already hit failure. And by the way, these should be to failure. Um, to failure meaning, failure meaning technical failure, meaning, um, once your technique is starting to break down, once you can no longer get high quality reps, you stop. This doesn't mm -hmm. mean that, um, literally can't move yeah anymore. exactly and there are some again we can touch another time and if you're more advanced you can use some you can use powder to um potentially uh, obviate for some Im imperfect machines and all that but that's for another <laughs> for another day so you might just do a response set or you can do a drop set or um and which would mean um, dropping down the weight by 20%, 30%, something like that. Again, with the goal of um, getting in more effective reps, usually somewhere between half and um, three, three quarters of the original rep um, scheme. Awesome. And um, if you do that for a muscle group, um, and you do that on maybe two, maybe three exercises, that's like six working sets per workout. You repeat that again, you get 12 sets. I think if execution is good and you actually know how to <laughs> how to lift, you get um, as much out of that um, out of that setup as you can realistically. And if you're a regular guy and a regular gym goer, it doesn't really matter that you could have gotten you could have spent another hour and you could have gotten another five percent because it really doesn't really matter to you. So that's just a take home message for people who perhaps um, just are trying to. Um, maybe they are thinking, okay, great, but what the hell am I supposed to do with all this information? How can I apply this for my own training? That's just my own uh, practical recommendation. That was great because, um, yeah, many, many times you listen to an hour long podcast and at the end, people are just talking about a whole bunch of things, what not to do, you know, this thing is not optimal. You could do better with something else. And at the end of it, you're like, okay, so what the hell do I actually do? So that was <laughs> great that you gave some actual practical tips. So, um, so yeah, Andre, thank you so much for, um, for doing this and hopefully we will be able to hop on some other calls like this and talk about some similar stuff because I think it can be greatly informative for people. So, um, yeah, just let people know, um, where they can find more about your, uh, stuff. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And, um, thanks for allowing me a platform to ramble on these topics because usually I just, <laughs> um, <laughs> think about this in my own head and it's great to Absolutely. have someone to share it with. So, um, if you like this kind of uh, content and you like listening to podcasts, I would recommend checking out my own podcast where Ab Abel has been a guest on previously, the Muscle Engineer podcast. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on social media, on Facebook. Um, I have a business profile, facebook.com forward slash Sotak TME or Sotak Andre the Muscle Engineer. Um, you can get in contact with me on my personal profile. That's Sotak Andras, I guess. That's uh, a bit hard for most people to spell. But um, um, if you just search for my first name, um, then you should uh, be able to find me. And uh, the social media account where I'm probably most active on is Instagram. Um, that's just um, instagram.com forward slash Sotak TME. And there you can find um, almost daily content. And I also post on my stories daily, um, five, six, seven times per day, something like that. Um, I post podcasts I listen to, um, funny stuff I find, the occasional Dragon Ball content, <laughs> if you're into okay. that. Um, I post some research if I see it, uh, something interesting. So essentially just um, more stuff related to what we discussed here. And um, 
if you liked my approach and uh, you would like to work with me, I, uh, like I said, I also work with clients online. And um, if you get in contact with me, I can let you know if I have available spots or not. Cool, man. Uh, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you. Same here, man. And I really look forward to repeating this again in the future. So that was episode 18 of the Muscle Engineer podcast with me being featured as a guest on the Sustainable Self-Development uh, podcast. I hope you enjoyed the discussion we had with Abel on um, the topic of progressive overload. And I hope you find it valuable and got some uh, things you can take away and implement into your own training. So with that, let's get into my uh, top three takeaways and things that I would like everyone to get out of this episode and um, at least consider um, when it comes to designing their own training uh, routine and setup. So the first and most important point when it comes to the discussion around the progressive overload is defining what actually progressive overload is. So like I said in that episode, progressive overload doesn't mean loading more weight on the bar or um, doing more reps or doing more sets. It simply means increasing the demands that you place upon the musculature you're trying to target. Of course, this can be synonymous with increasing weights on the bar. However, the big misconception is that um, automatically assuming that just because you loaded more weight on the bar, that automatically means that you are indeed inducing a progressive tension overload which is far from the reality and uh, like I said in the episode actually the opposite um, of what happens with most people and I'm mainly talking about um, relatively untrained or relatively unskilled lifters because there are many people who are quote-unquote trained but are still very um, unskilled and have very shit execution and muscle recruitment even after uh, five to ten years of just uh, casually lifting around the goal of hypertrophy training is to increase the amount of tension that's placed on the muscle so in a sense you're trying to make that muscle contract harder and harder or work harder and harder and has have to essentially want to put it under an increasingly higher demand over time and this can happen in a variety of ways but but you always have to keep in mind that the goal is to make the muscle work harder and whatever way you achieve that that can indeed um, be deemed as a way of progressive overload the second point is around um, things you should focus on when you're a beginner or a relatively new lifter or simply when you're trying to transition into hypertrophy specific training perhaps if you came from a powerlifting background or a weightlifting background or a crossfit background something like that where um, simply performance was the goal and not necessarily increases in muscle size so when it comes to that i absolutely believe that um, execution should be the foundation first and foremost you should establish a very 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 good base of execution before you try to increase loads and um, i think this is valuable for two reasons mainly one is that it allows you to get the same result essentially by using um, a lighter weight which can be um, a useful thing simply <laughs> in a practice when you if you like say you can get the same job done with 150 kilos on the leg press instead of having to use a, a 250 with a shittier form or a short range of motion or with tons of momentum and bounce and all that then just simply means less time that you have to load up and um, unload the leg press which <laughs> I personally think it's very useful. 
And the second point is perhaps even more important, and um, this is often countered by people who say, well, look at so-and-so, um, look at Branch Warren, look at Doug Miller, look at any of these guys who are, look at them, you are so jacked, and they um, they don't control the weight all that much and just sway it around and... and uh, they grow like weed, which is true, but also look at the amount of surgeries Branch Warren had. Look at the amount of surgeries Ronnie Coleman had. I mean, okay, great, if you, if that's your role model and you want to join them in the hospital bed eventually, then awesome, have at it. But if you're actually trying to promote longevity and try to do this for a long time, then I think placing execution at the forefront ensures that you can actually lift for years and decades to come which I think should be the most important thing in mind, not just what you can do in the next three or four months. And in that sense, my final point is going to be around the progression method you take and um, more specifically whether you should try to increase set numbers and try to hit your volume landmarks as popularized by Mike Israel. And if you know me or if you follow me on my Instagram, know that you know that I am... um, coaching people under the supervision of Mike so I am definitely not a hater I'm not trying to strawman him I'm not dismissing him I I absolutely think that he is right in most of the things he says and I do think that for someone who is really elite and tries to get absolutely single best results and get each percent point out of their training then awesome and Mike's programming style is going to get them close to that uh, outcome However, I think that in practice, there are many issues with um, taking that approach, largely due to the fact that most people have real lives and they have one, a very limited time to train and to have um, varying amounts of recovery capabilities, the main one being sleep. So if someone has, perhaps they have a small child or, or something, a newborn or something like that, then they might one night they might get eight hours of sleep the other night might get five hours third night they might get eight again then they might get two hours so when it comes to practical programming you can't really want to push these high volume um, training routines when this when you face these kinds of uh, practical realities and the other important consideration is time i mean if someone only has 45 to 60 minutes to work out and you can't just sit at the gym however long you want and uh, do 25 sets with three reps in reserve because supposedly more volume is better which is debatable but let's assume for a second that it is then it simply becomes what uh, can you get or how can you get the most out of those 60 minutes and for that i think pushing relative intensity higher and um, trying to hit failure with good technique and that means that the set stops once you can no longer hit high quality reps. I think that um, doing fewer sets and emphasizing quality first and foremost, and then pushing relative intensity and getting closer to failure, especially in isolations, is a very um, fine way to train. And if you implement some of the intensity techniques I mentioned in the podcast, doing things like drop sets or rest pause sets or my reps or any other similar strategies, you can get um, the most of your training in a very time efficient manner and um, I think even if let's say you can only get 90% because I don't it's not like the super advanced programming is going to get you 100% and these more um, simple 
fewer sets per exercise setup is going to get you 30%. It's more like 89% versus 95-100. So even if this setup only gets you, quote-unquote, only 90% of the gains, if that means uh, staying in the gym for 45 minutes versus 2.5 hours, I think that's a worthy trade-off to take. So in that sense, I think for most people doing Definitely more than three sets per exercise is overkill and uh, more than three exercises per muscle group per workout is also not needed. So if you're someone who is doing 20 plus sets per workout regularly and you don't really look like a professional bodybuilder, I would really start scrutinizing your workout quality first and foremost and um, focus on improving that. So those would be my takeaways. I hope you enjoyed them. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you find it helpful. And stick around because in a couple of days I will uh, release another episode because I had the honor of being once again on Albert's podcast and this time we discussed the topic of deloads. So this episode is already up on Albert's channel so if you want to check it out already you can go to the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast YouTube channel. I think it should be up on his SoundCloud and um, on iTunes also. But if you're busy and have other things to listen to, then stick around because I will also release that episode in this podcast in uh, a couple of days. So we'll talk soon and until then, have an awesome week.